so we've been going through each of the commandments each week. Today we're on commandment number four, which is about keeping the Sabbath. So if you're here, congratulations. You're well on your way to, uh, to doing that. Let's look then at Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. This is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy means to be distinct from the other six days. Six days you shall labor, not five, and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. I don't want any of your animals working. Okay, let's just make that clear. We're going to be focusing on that this morning, or this evening. Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What's interesting about this command is that it is the, uh, it's the first application of the first three commands. So the first three commands are, are bundled together as a summary of what life with God is, is, is to be about. To have no other gods, that God needs to be unique, and then we worship not who we imagine him to be, but who he really is, and then we follow him. We represent his name in how we live. Those three things are all together. Worship, worship who he really is, and represent him in how we live. So now we come to the fourth command, and this is the first application. It's the first thing that we're actually told to do. The first three are what not to do, not have false gods, false representation. This is the first thing that we're said to, to focus on to do. And what is it? It regards our time our time. Now, if you listen to somebody describe, if you ask somebody, you know, what's been going on, how you doing these days, what we're typically going to hear, if you talk to me or anybody else, is we're busy. Aren't we all busy? I mean, we could be busy, you know, conquering the next level of a video game, but we are busy. And, uh, and I, I think that when we, when we say that we're busy, it's a little bit like saying, I'm important. I'm not just lying around. I'm doing very, very important things with my life. It's kind of a way to, I don't know, feel good about ourselves. But behind that, I think that when we talk about being busy, perhaps what we talk about is feeling overwhelmed. I can't uh, imagine a, a time in which there's been more time pressure than in the day and age that we now live in. I think I, I listened to my mother telling stories of growing up on a farm in Saskatchewan. And uh, wow, in every way, what a radically different time. Tons of just free time of doing nothing. Sure, you had, when it was harvest time, you had to work really hard, but then you stopped doing that. Well, here, it seems as though we're just busy all the time, and we have to be. If we're living in the city, the amount of, of financial pressure, so we've got to work harder, these kinds of things. I think overwhelmed is often how we can characterize our life. So what is the solution that is often presented to us when we're overwhelmed and busy? I think it's about time management, and this is how it goes, that we need uh, you know, wide margins in our life, and just lots of white space, it can't be so cluttered and always doing really important things. We need to have times to breathe. We need to evaluate our priorities. There's so much going on. We need to create a list of priorities 
Uh, cut out the things that aren't so important and just focus on the things that really matter. Uh, maybe we need to do what's most life-giving. And people would say, what really brings you life? What makes you come alive? And then we dream about something and they say, well, go do that. Then don't do those other things. Just, just do the things that make you really, really happy. Stop changing your children's diapers. That never makes you happy. Get, get, I don't know what they're going to do, but don't do that. That's not life-giving. So work on something else. Now, uh, here's what's interesting about all that. There's some, there's some value in it, isn't there? It's good to have priorities and to, to do what gives us life and to be able to have space to breathe. All that's helpful. Here's what I'm worried about when we talk about uh, time management. It feels like the, the, the thing that ends up being lost is love because we just don't have time for it. Our lives are so busy. You finish a 10-hour a, a day, you just want to relax. And so we try to manage, but it feels like the thing that gets cut out is the thing that's something about love, <clears throat> something about sacrificing for another, caring for another. It seems like there's not much time left over for such things. Instead of time management, God invites us to do something radically different. We don't manage our time. He invites us to redeem our time, to make everything uh, meaningful and life-giving. And so what we want to do, since our time is primarily divided between work and rest, we're going to look at, at work and rest and discuss how do we actually redeem these two moments so that they're not something that we dread, but something that we can look forward to. So let's look, first of all, at the idea of work. What's interesting about work is the first time we hear about a human being working is before the fall, before <coughs> Adam and Eve sinned. Adam was given jobs to do, which was naming animals. What a great job, you know. I'm going to call you this. And the, we had a guy, um, we had a, uh, a fellow living with us who was uh, Chinese. And when his relatives or friends came over from China, he got to give them all new names. So imagine a 20-year-old naming you. One of them was Jet, you know, and Rocky, and like just... Like I said, all the names that he wished he was, you know, but he just, uh, he just named, I think that, what a great job to have. <clears throat> but anyway, so that's what Adam's job was. Now, here's what's interesting about that, is that uh, he's working before the fall, which means that work is inherently good. It's not bad. It's something that could be life-giving. The idea then is why, if it's, if it's inherently good, why does it often feel so exhausting? Why does our work feel like it depletes our energy instead of energize us? And so here's what I'd like to present to you, is that when it's self-serving, when our work is about us, I don't think we ever get paid enough. We never get enough recognition. The hours never really fit. Uh, it just goes on and on. When work is about us, it can be quite disappointing and becomes incredibly tiring. It's one of the reasons why we hear people looking for different vocations, moving through so many different careers, is because we're hoping that there's going to come this magic moment when we have a career that just fulfills us in every way. We make millions of dollars every hour, and we have uh, six days off, 
not what, and, and it's just, and it's, it's, it's exactly what we want to do, and it just never quite seems to be what we hope it would be. We can even experience this in terms of serving in the church. Uh, you know, where you, I mean, we'll just pick on musicians uh, just because it's fun, and I'm not one, so I feel like I can, uh, but, you know, you, you, you'll have somebody new to the church, and they'll say, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to, brag or anything, but, you know, I'm, I am a musician, and I, you know, I play the guitar, and glory to God, of course, it's just a gift that he's given me, but, um, but I just want you to know that if there's any way that I can serve in the church, you know, I do do that, and uh, I'm just, I'm just here to help, and so we'll say, great, great, so you want to serve in the church, yeah, that's, yeah, I do. well, usually, uh, what's really helpful is all this stuff has to be taken down, and set up and taken down every week, if you could start there, that'd be outstanding. And, you know, you watch them go, well, I don't know that I have that gift. Like, my gift is more like guitar and stuff. I don't know that I really have a gift of taking stuff down and carrying large objects. I've never felt called to that. And so it's this idea that um, what brings me life is what I find personally satisfying. I think that we can all think this way. And so this becomes super challenging because much of what work is isn't often very satisfying in a personal kind of way. Here's what Psalm 127 verse 2 says about working to achieve the things that we're kind of hoping for. It says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. What a powerful verse. You don't have to run after those things. I'm going to care for you in such a way, get this, that you'll actually be able to have a good night's sleep. What a beautiful promise. Ecclesiastes 10.15 says, The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Okay, what that means is this is an agrarian culture. Everybody's in farming communities. And so when you, uh, when you want to go have fun, you go to town. That's where fun is, is in town. And so you're so tired from your work, you can't even go off and have any fun. God wants to set us free from that. How does he do that? When is work life-giving? And here it is, when we do it for love and in faith. I think I quote Galatians 5, 6 every sermon, as far as I can tell. The, uh, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That when we do something for love and in faith, it's actually life-giving. What a great thought that at the end of a workday, you would be able to say, I am alive. What a great day. I'm so sad I'm finished. Like, wouldn't that, like, what a, what a day that would be like is uh, how, how do we get there? How do we get to experience that kind of day? Well, if it's done for love and in faith. Love is energizing. And I think all work can be about love. This is what's spoken about in John chapter 4, in verse 32. We have uh, the story. Uh, if, you're, if you've read your Bible at all, you know the story of the woman at the well. And so the background is that Jesus is traveling uh, through Samaria, which is not a great, if you're a Jew, that's not a great place to travel through. They're super tired. They're hungry, exhausted. He sits down at a well. His uh, friends go off to Subway to get something to eat. And while he's there, 
he meets this woman, and it just becomes an amazing story where uh, she believes in him, tells the whole town about that the whole town comes out. It's great. And then they come back with the sandwiches, and this is what he says. He says, um, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so, just like us, they go, what? You got McDonald's? Like what? Like what? And he, and he says, no, I've been serving Jesus. And this, sorry, serving God, and it's Jesus. I've been, serving, I've been serving God, and that is life-giving to me. Isn't that great? He says, after working, he's exhausted, does more, and he says, I, I am so satisfied right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have an experience of work that would be like that? We finish work. I have food to eat. I spent all day as a plumber. What a great day. I spent all day staring at a computer screen. That was a great day. How does, it, how does that become true? Another way of, of asking the question is, what are the good works that God has prepared, Ephesians 2.10, that is prepared in advance for us to do? We can think that good works are sometimes uh, stuff that we do on a Sunday or if we're in a, uh, a D group in our church or a community or something like that or we go and help the refugees. Super good works. But what if, get this, what if our good works included our daily career, vocation? What if that was also a good work? How could it become meaningful and life-giving? I think the answer is at least found in part is when we continue doing God's work. Remember the whole context of this passage is that God's saying, I worked for six days, and here's what he did in his six days. He created the world. And, uh, uh, but what it's talking about is he created three things. He created time, space, and resources for relationships to occur. God was creating a place so that he could be with us. And so in order to be with somebody, you need to be in the same place, time, you used to be in the same space, and then used to be resources so you can, like, live. And he created all that to have a relationship with us. And then he says, uh, what I'm commanding you to do now is to continue my work. And so if your work is about serving love and relationship, it's going to be as rewarding as my work is. So the challenge that you and I face is to somehow be able to view what looks like mundane work in such a way that it's about love and caring about others. I don't think it's that hard. I think every kind of work can be redeemed, not just managed or survived, it can be redeemed when it's done in love. You've heard me talk in the past about construction work. That the reason why you and I can enjoy this moment is because all the different trades who are participating in the building of, uh, of this church. What a what noble work this is to have a place for people to meet, homes to build where, where, where families can be together in, uh, in warmth and safety. Construction work, get this, with all of you with calloused hands, construction work is noble work that's about love. Now, if it's only about... Uh, you know, you like working with your hands and you're hoping to make X number of dollars an hour, that's going to get really tiring. But if it's about love, now you have meaningful work. 
Some of you are in communications. Powerful work. You're helping people connect with one another. What, what, what a noble career that God's given you. That's a good work that God prepared in advance for you to do. Those of you who are in education, some of you are in entertainment. Some of you, there we go. Some of you are in, uh, some of you are in healthcare. You're creating uh, resources, health, for people to enjoy relationship. Some of you are in the legal system. All of these areas need to be redeemed by the love of God. And you've been sent there to carry on his ministry of bringing the world into right relationship with him and others. That is noble work. And we can be proud of the work that we do. You can always make work sound horrible. Can't you? I mean, you barely have to think about it. Well, all I really do is I, you know, hammer nails or shuffle paper or... No, you don't. You're loving people. And to the degree that you're loving people is the degree to which that work is noble and life-giving. So work then is uh, it, when, it's, when it's washed through with faith and love becomes something that doesn't leave us tired, it leaves us energized. So let's then move to rest. Why would we rest? If that's what, what work is about, then why would we ever rest? Because we wouldn't need to because work is so great. Or why did God rest? You know, imagine he creates the world and he goes, that was exhausting. And uh, I mean, I ran out of ideas when I got the, the dinosaurs and the, and the elephants. I didn't know what to do and then I had to create humans and that took forever. And it's like, uh, you know, like, you, you know, why, uh, you know, he, he finishes all that. And then does it mean when he said that he rested on the seventh day, was he just exhausted? Is that what rest means? My experience of rest is mostly that. I wasn't working for love. I was working for me. And so then I can hardly wait for a day off to focus more on me. And that that's somehow going to be rejuvenating. It's interesting. So, what when, he, when God said that he rested on the seventh day, what does that mean? Well, there's an author that I really like, and I got to hear him live at, at Regent College a number of years ago. And it just changed my perspective on what the Sabbath is and what rest means. His name is John Walton. And, uh, and he says, what, uh, what rest means, get this now, is to enjoy what you've made. That's what it means to rest. So when God rested on the seventh day, what this means is that he then got to enjoy what he's made, otherwise known as you and I. He makes us, and he, he doesn't go, wow, I'm glad that's over. What's next? He goes, no, the whole point of making humanity was so that I could enjoy them and be with them. This is what rest actually means. So, some of you know, I used to be a, a woodwork teacher, built lots of chairs and tables and stuff over the years. And I, I, after I, I make a chair, how do I rest? I sit in the chair. I built the chair so I can sit in the chair. Now, I'm, I'm enjoying, you get it now, I'm enjoying what I've made. What a great thing to do. Uh, in parenting, 
you know, how do you, how do you enjoy what you've made? I said this in the morning in Surrey, and uh, Pastor Matt shouts out by sitting on them. I like the, ch- anyways, I thought that was pretty funny. So how do you, uh, how do you enjoy, how do you, en- you don't just, you don't just parent kids, you enjoy them. Have you ever gotten around enjoying your kids? Some of you go, how, how can I do, I can't picture that right now. <laughs> Especially if they're under five. It's just, you're just praying for years to go by quickly. But uh, no, what if we just enjoy our kids? We're not disciplining them or making a teachable moment or whatever it is. We just enjoy our kids. Marriage. What if we just get to enjoy one another instead of working on ourselves or working preferably on them or whatever it would be? Like, why don't we just enjoy the other person? Just enjoy them. I think that is so powerful. I think this is what should characterize our relationship with God. Because I think it's what characterizes his relationship with us. Did you know that his primary agenda, get this, write it down, is to enjoy you, not to fix you. Not to, he's so disappointed, and he's hoping, he's waiting for when you're going to get it and really, really be serious about your commitment. He just wants to enjoy you. And any time he asks anything of you, it's so that he can have an enjoyable relationship with you. This is what's going on. This is the culmination. Listen, the culmination of creation is enjoyment. I think this is absolutely remarkable. When we meet in communities or D groups, What if we just enjoy one another? This leads then to us understanding what the Sabbath is about. It needs to be a day that is characterized by this enjoyment. So the word Sabbath uh, can't mean just a day off. Otherwise, everybody's having a Sabbath. Whoever, you know, if you take a couple days off or a vacation, not everybody is taking Sabbath. They just have a day off. What's the difference between a day off and a Sabbath day. Well, the word means, it's a verb, and it means to stop doing what one has done so far. You could call a Sabbath day a stopping day. It's a stopping day. It's stop it. Whatever you're doing for the other six days, don't, just don't do that, and then you'll be fine. Just, just don't do the six-day stuff. But what are we stopping to do? we've already said it, haven't we? We're stopping to enjoy God and one another. One of the things that we talk a lot about when we think about having a church service is, uh, is we want people to, to come here and feel refreshed. Yeah, you're going to feel challenged. But maybe it needs to primarily be a time of life and refreshment. To stop working and to enjoy God and enjoy one another. And this is what makes the Sabbath day holy or distinct from the other days. Let's then look at two ways that, we're, that this gets expressed in rest. We're going to look at faith, love, then we'll conclude. So, uh, uh, in order to have a day of rest and enjoyment, it needs to be about faith. Here's why. To rest from our work, we must trust in God's work. To rest from our work, we need to trust in God's work. If you, uh, 
if you're working and you go, somebody says, hey, you can get another shift. You can get overtime. You go, wow, that's pretty good. I could use the money. Why would we take a whole day off and not make more money? It's trusting that God is our provider, not just how hard I work. Isn't that a hard thing to trust God with? That he's going to provide? It takes faith to take a day off. It takes faith. And our faith is that God will provide even as we're just simply enjoying him. Psalm, uh, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. There are some things that you and I will never know about God unless we're still. We just won't know it. it. Only by being still, only by resting in him, can we discover the sufficiency of his grace and kindness and provision, his kindness, his smile. Only by being still. And so God invites us to devote a whole day to that. It's interesting that the root word for Sabbath is nefesh, which means to breathe. Another definition of the Sabbath day is a breath-giving day, where you just get to, like you just get to breathe. What a great description of a day. Uh, Dr. Klaus Bachmiel, which is one of my favorite names to say, just sounds like he's smart. Uh, with a name like Klaus Bachmiel, and he was. Uh, he was my professor at Regent College, and he describes, he was my ethics professor, and he describes uh, what you're to do on a Sabbath day is you're to hang yourself on a clothesline and let the wind blow through. Isn't that great? Just, I mean, you just picture just hanging there on a clothesline, and you let the wind of the Spirit blow through your life. What a great day. He wants you and I to experience days like that. Well, what you doing? Nothing. Just letting the wind blow through. The joke is for some of you it's easier than others, but anyways. Uh, just letting the wind blow through. That was to be funny. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees had, get this, 1,521 laws to keep uh, to keep the Sabbath. How do you even do that? 1,521 laws just for keeping the Sabbath. And Jesus comes and says, you know how you keep the Sabbath? Enjoy yourself. Just stop working and just enjoy yourself. What a kind, generous God. What does this look like practically? Well, it looks like love. Let's look at, at four things. We'll just go through them very quickly. But it's just to paint a picture of what a day of love and enjoyment and rest looks like. First of all, it's physical rest. Now, some of you, if you have physical labor, then it's physical rest. Uh, some of us have jobs that are more mental labor, and then it's mental rest. But it's where you don't think much, or you don't do much. I just, some of, one of the things that I think about, as soon as it's just horrible, and I hate to confess it in front of you, as soon as I sit down, my hand, I'm not thinking about it, my hand goes into my pocket, pull out my phone, and here we go. As soon as I have a minute, I just do that. Oh, it bugs me that I do that. And I try to think, because I'm a little bit older, like before, like computers and stuff, which is embarrassing. 
But uh, like before, like we kind of sat there. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Like we just sat there. I don't even remember sitting there. <laughs> we just, what you do and I'm, I don't know, I'm just sitting here right now. What you thinking about? I don't know. Something, I guess. Like we sat around, just, we would go to, uh, we would go visit my, my mom's family in, in Saskatchewan. And we would, they would, I was mostly bored, they would sit, they're, they're talking with their brothers and sisters who they don't, it's a family of nine kids. And so they all get together and they hang out for a week talking to each other. There's nothing going on in Saskatchewan. So all they're doing is they're just talking to each other. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it makes me nervous a little bit. Like, I don't know if I could do that for that length of time. But this is, this is what they do. What's really fun is ask Ted Morgan sometimes about what Vancouver, he will tell you Oak Street was a horse path. And he lived there, you can shake his hand, you can touch him. He, he was alive when Oak Street was a horse path. And where Oak Ridge Mall or whatever it's gonna become, that was a swamp. Isn't that great? That's a different time. It's a time when you could let the wind blow through. God wants to give us back that kind of time. What a huge gift. It's rest. It's spiritual reflection. It's this word that we talked about last year, which I still love because it's so rooted in the middle of the Bible. It's koinonia. It's a word that means more than just fellowship, like hanging out. It means being family together. Hardly, we can hardly wait to see one another, even close. And it means sharing mercy. The, listen to what Bachmill goes on to say. This is the summary statement of what the Sabbath is. Mercy is the proper interpreter of the Sabbath commandment. Isn't that interesting? If you were to summarize what this day of rest is to be about, it's receiving and giving away mercy. What an interesting way to think. It's just a day that lacks performance. It's just a kind day. Oh, what a beautiful day. The Pharisees, of course, with their 1,521 laws, didn't get this at all. And so, uh, so uh, they thought that when Jesus performed miracles on the Sabbath, they thought he was breaking the Sabbath. You know what's true? He was fulfilling the Sabbath by extending mercy to the people who were broken and needed the touch of God's love and power. He was fulfilling the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of giving away mercy. This leads just to be practical and then we'll conclude. So then we could say that maybe the people who are, who are doing the worship or setting up the equipment or being welcoming, maybe this is, this is work and now they gotta find another day to rest. Well, if we look at what Jesus did, it was, it, it was activity, but it wasn't performance activity. There was no profit. And so what was being stopped was not all activity, it was the kind of activity that was about garnering wages. 
Instead, it was mercy activity, just giving gifts of love to people without getting anything in return. And so it's possible to participate on a Sabbath day and volunteer with the kids or with the worship team. It's possible for those two things to be together because now you're expressing mercy. And this is what the Sabbath is all about. Don't you want to be a part of that day? It's going to take faith, isn't it? It's going to take faith to have a whole day. Well, uh, when I, again, I'm in Bachmill's course on the Ten Commandments. And of course, somebody immediately shoots up their hand. Uh, does it have to be 24 hours? I mean, that's the first thing, you know. And here's what he said. He says, first of all, it doesn't have to be on a particular day. That's never the point. He says, it, it does need to be 24 hours. That, that bugs me a little bit. I think it's so good that you and I would let ourselves not work for 24 hours is, uh, I mean, that's a different kind of life. And it's the kind of life that God in, invites us into because it's the whole point. In conclusion, time is a gift. It's a gift for a relationship. And there's always enough time to love and enjoy God and others. There's always enough time for that. There's never enough time to be lazy, greedy, faithless, or selfish. Now, this has been a, a guiding uh, concept for me. Whenever I feel driven and tired, I go, oh, I'm doing work that's about me. If I'm so overwhelmed, I need to be lazy. Oh. That's about me. The reason why I'm overwhelmed is not by the amount of work that I do. It's by who I'm serving. And when I'm serving me, that's exhausting and never satisfying. And so I need to be lazy or I need to prove myself or whatever it is. But I've now moved outside of the bounds of love and faith. And God says, no, come on in. Come into a place that's about faith and love not about performance or exhaustion. If you notice, when you, when you have an exhausted spirit, not just that you're tired, of course we get tired from working, but it's the, I'm talking about exhaustion. Notice that you can, it, the, there's, you can never make work small enough. You're still tired. It's tiring to get out of bed. Our freedom is found in love and faith not in time management. Psalm 90.12 says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Father, show us what does it look like to redeem time, not just manage time. Today, then, is the most important moment we can impact. I love Lord Chesterfield. Take, I mean, what a great name to talk about time. Resting up. Anyways, uh, take care of the minutes for the hours will take care of themselves. Look, you and I aren't going to be able to enjoy this moment right now for two reasons. We're worried about the past or the future. The past and the future always rob away today. And Jesus says to us, today when you hear my voice, today, Receive my rest, Hebrews 3. 
God wants to liberate us from our past discouragements and future worries by living in today. And we can only live in today by faith and love. The goal then, get this, I don't know if you're going to like me after this. Anyways, the goal is not to achieve a work-life balance. I don't think that's our goal in life. And I've never met anybody who does anyways. Our goal is to redeem both work and rest by making them about receiving and giving God's love by faith. And now whether we're work, we're energized, and then we get to rest and be energized, and the whole of life is redeemed because it's under Jesus, trusting in him, enjoying his love. I find it fascinating that in the Old Testament, uh, the Sabbath was on the last day of the week. So the idea is God created for six days, and then he rested. He enjoyed what he made. Great. But then they move the Sabbath to the first day of the week. Very interesting. And it's to do with, with Jesus' death and resurrection. But here's what's fascinating about this. Listen to this. If you grab all of this, it can change your life. Any given week starts in rest. It doesn't end in rest. It's not, oh man, I can hardly wait for the end of the week. It actually, the first day of the week is the day of rest. And then what God invites us to do is to take that rest into the rest of the week so that even our work is redeemed and life-giving because we started in faith, resting in him, not having to prove something, not having to make sure that we can make enough money to survive. We're set free by his work and not ours. Listen to Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, otherwise known as everyone living in Metro Vancouver. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not just one day off. I'm going to give you a spirit of rest. And now get this. Take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke? Well, that's, you know, what they harness animals to do farm work with. So he says, I'm going to give you rest. Oh, and by the way, here's my yoke. So what he's saying is that there's going to be a way of doing work that is in rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, even when you're working. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. My friends, God has not called us to live an exhausted life. And I think one of the greatest testimonies that the church will have in this city in particular is to have a restful spirit and a quiet spirit in a chaotic world. What a powerful testimony of the grace of God. We're going to be taking communion in a moment. So those of you who are worrying about that, you can uh, start going. The worship team, you can come up. I would like to pray for us that you and I could say yes to a stopping day, to a breath-giving day, to a holy day, to a day to enjoy God and one another that could not be restricted to an hour and a half service that would spill out 
not just for the rest of the day, but into the whole rest of the week. Father, I thank you. I just, I just think of what other God's agendas would be, and I don't think it's this one. But the first thing you tell us to do is to enjoy you and one another. I can't think of a clear revelation of who you are and what your priorities are than to understand the Sabbath. And so I ask that you would give us the faith to enjoy, that you would give us the faith to rest, and that that rest would even redeem the work of our hands. Father, thank you that your hope is not to create an ambitious people, a driven people, but a people who know how to walk in cooperation with you. Set us free from our toil, our, our, our weary lives, our burdens, our exhaustion, our trying to find something meaningful. Oh, Father, let us be a Sabbath people. Jesus.